the fact that I started playing the sport just for the, the enjoyment and the love of the game, I think that was essential. I think people who think about professional basketball right off the, the offset, they put so much pressure on themselves that they might actually forget about the actual love of the sport. Welcome to the Athlete EQ Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Searcy, and today I'm speaking with Kieran Achara, Olympian, Scotland and Team GB International, and former number 20 for the Glasgow Rocks. In this episode, Kieran talks about how sport, especially basketball, allowed him to embrace his differences growing up in Scotland, and recounts lessons he's learned beyond the sport throughout his career. We discuss the importance of having a support network as a player, and how vital it is to ask for help when you're not okay. And finally, before offering words of advice, Kieran speaks his mind on the state of the game in the UK, and how discrimination is still very much a reality in many aspects. And I just want to say, welcome to the show. Thanks for sitting down and taking some time. No problem um, at all. I want to start off with probably a question you do get asked quite often. Being a tall Scottish gentleman, was it your height that lured you to basketball? How did, how did you get there? I always talk about, you know, pushing and pulling. So, you know, when you're extracting information, or is it pushed upon you or is it pulled? You know, it's something that you've actually actively announced, uh, sought. For me, I was very tall. <laughs> it was I was desirable for a lot, but growing up in Scotland, basketball didn't come naturally. It was not something I, I watched. It wasn't on TV. It was a part of the PE curriculum, but it was not something I really kind of focused on. But thankfully, the one of the sixth year pupils who was coaching our high school team at Stirling High School asked me just to come along. He said, "Look, you've got the height. It would be a real advantage. Uh, I know you're. You're. I was athletic." Uh, just come along and I, I went along to, to training and we ended up winning the Scottish Cup that year. So I think we had success really early on and obviously it was an opportunity for me to embrace my height and use it to its full potential. So that's I, th- I think it just kind of went hand in hand from there. Okay. I noticed that, you know, it seems that people who are naturally tall, you know, people who are gifted with height, they tend to be tends to be assumed obviously you're going to be a basketball player obviously you're going to be a you know if you're athletic you're obviously going to play that sport so I was just curious is it was that the height or were you obsessed with the sport from a young age so like I said I was 14 15 when I started playing basketball okay I I was obsessed with sport I love sport and you know being tall being black growing up in Scotland that couldn't have been easy it was very different. You, you, I was very aware from a young age that I was different. Yeah. And, you know, you try, and, you try your hardest to fit in. That's all you want to do when you're young is fit in mm. and be accepted. But sport allowed me to, I always talk about embracing my uniqueness. Mm. It allowed me the opportunity to excel and, and be something more than, so people gravitated to that. So I didn't have to try and just fit in. People wanted to be more like me. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I think it was, that in itself allowed me to kind of pursue sport. Basketball was the perfect fit. I, I, like I said, I just didn't know anything about basketball. I didn't know any pathways in basketball. I didn't know local clubs or you know, playing for your country. Or, and I didn't think playing professionally could even be achieved. You know? so, but once I found that kind of pathway, I kind of really just kind of fixated on that. And, and it, it, my journey was, it kind of spoke for itself. It kind of gave me some purpose and some drive. Talking about being different... Do you feel that that was an advantage or a disadvantage throughout your career? Uh, I, th- I think 
it's, it's, I, I said I've always been different because I've seen when I went over to America, for example, I'm a big tall black guy with a Scottish accent. That, that just didn't, <laughs> you know. So it was, I, I definitely felt more comfortable in that environment. But at the same time, I was different everywhere I've been, you know, even playing when I was playing abroad, same thing. It's just, it was it was very hard to relate to. There wasn't many of me per se, you know. So uh, I think, like I said, for me, it was all those insecurities of being different. But sport allowed me to embrace that and say that actually being different was a good thing. Mm. So I, th- I think that was a journey in itself and it, it took a lot of maturity as well. But I think as, as, as the progression happened in the sport, the more comfortable I was with, within my own self and my own being. Mm. So for others that want to play basketball at, at high level, um, I'm talking about other young players, not just in not just in the UK, but wherever they happen to be listening from, you're saying embrace being different. Embrace being different, but at the same time, it allows you a chance to reflect. I've always been quite known for being a critical thinker, and <laughs> I've always kind of looked into the, the advantages and disadvantages of different things. So the more you start to understand yourself, the more you realize, so for example, I am not the most athletic player on a basketball court. There was guys who could jump at the gym. That wasn't me. I knew that's not something that was going to be my expertise in the sport, but where could I add value to that? So no matter what situation you're in, being different will have its advantages and it'll have its disadvantages. It's understanding what these advantages and disadvantages are and trying using them to your, your advantage to get that competitive advantage within the sport. So for me, it was my IQ. I was, I was, I was very good at picking up things and memorizing and working out patterns and essentially thinking like a coach, which I think helped my career because it allowed me to be two or three steps ahead of other people uh, who are maybe more athletic or stronger or faster than I was. Yeah, because I mean, even choosing to play a sport like basketball in the UK, when you have, you know, when you have the big three, what I call the big three in the UK, even choosing a sport to play that's different than that sets you apart. Very much so. But again, I I think I was uh, very lucky in the sense that I was still playing basketball for fun. It was it was a hobby. Uh, I, I started to love the game. I wasn't pursuing a professional career per se. But when I was 16, I got the opportunity to go over to the States on a, to a basketball camp. And during that camp, I had one of the coaches put his arm around me and say, son, if you work really, really hard, you could get a scholarship. And that was my driver. That changed everything for me because I wanted to be the first in my family to go to university. You know, where, where, I, where I grew up, most people drop out of school at 16, go into a trade and, you know, that's their working life. I didn't want that. I, I guess I, 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 going back to me being different, I just wanted to be different. Yeah. And I thought education would have been that path. So when I was told that I could actually play a sport and that would be the tool for me getting my education, that was a no-brainer for me. So my, my drive, my purpose, everything just changed then. And I was, I was a lot more committed to that. So I was very fortunate in the sense that I had a strong kind of you know, purpose of what I was trying to achieve. And I think that allowed me to kind of really push the sport. And you know what? If someone had said the same thing for me in, I don't know, badminton or whatever, I don't know if I would have done the exact same thing. Does that make sense? I don't know if it was the sport per se or the it was essentially a pathway to what I was wanting to achieve. It was, I think it was that pathway that allowed me to fall in love with the game even more once I reached those goals. It became a, forgive the metaphor, it became a car to drive where you where you wanted to go instead of having to maybe walk. 
Yes, and like I said, I was the fact that I started playing the sport just for the, the the enjoyment and the love of the game. I think that was that was essential. I think people who think about professional basketball right off the the offset, they put so much pressure on themselves that they might actually forget about the actual love of the sport. Yes, you know. So I think there's a there, there's a real balancing line, and I, I you know I see that happening more and more in, in in youth sport, starting kids at seven, eight years old, and thinking that. You know, selling them this professional dream from such a young age, but they ha- they haven't actually fallen in love with the game yet. They just they only understand work, and that's where I, th- I feel that burnout and everything else can happen. So, mm. I was I think I was very fortunate that I didn't see a pathway in, in the sport originally. I just saw it as enjoyment, really started to enjoy it, and then was captivated by the chance of getting a scholarship. That's a great way to you know grow with your sport. I agree with you. I think starting children off with this idea of they can play a sport professionally at the you know before they've even had a chance to you know grow into a a human that understands their own wants and needs and dreams you know six seven eight is it's the way it is and I wonder what that does to the development of players in the long run in terms of whether they, you know, whether they fall in love with their sport. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm very big on the whole identity uh, and, you know, I'm renowned for talking about the athletic identity. When you're in that kind of core group of athletes, you're known as an athlete and that's something that's amazing to be a part of. But you know, I'm, I'm obviously I'm at the stage now. I'm out, outside of my career, and that kind of identity, you can kind of feel a sense of loss. Yeah. So I think it was very, very important, especially at a young age, to kind of create an infrastructure for younger players to understand that they're more than just that sport. Absolutely. And if they don't have that, I think it'll be really, really hard. And you know, spe- you know, I, I like to say they, they have to have like multiple identities, understanding that they're more than just an athlete and more than just this. And I think with that kind of mindset it actually helps the player be a little bit more holistic in their thinking, which also in turn, I believe, helps them in their sport because they're more confident in other facets of life as well. Yeah. And that leads to understanding things like, yes, I'm going to you know, work up my academics, not just so I can go to the US and get, you know, get a scholarship and you know, play and make it to the NBA, but it's like I'm, getting, I, I'm working on my academics so that I'm you know, an intelligent human being outside of the sport of, you know, outside of my sport. That leads to that identity you're talking about. It leads to other values that are not tied to just making it as an athlete. Yep. And, you know, a lot of people say that with the college system in the States, byproduct is that they have an education. So for the ones who don't make it in sport, but I was saying if you make it in sport or don't make it in sport, those other asset, uh, assets are really needed. They're really essential because if you look at a professional career, you're, you're looking at five to 10 years. Like yeah. you've got a whole <laughs> lot of life to live in in that time. So I think finding yourself from a younger age the one thing I always kind of pride myself on is learning how to learn. Mm. I think that is important. And then if you, if I say, it, you know, my focus is, my drive is onto, onto basketball, then so be it. But now, like after I've used the technique of learning how to learn, but I can now apply it to something else that I'm very passionate about. So it's just now finding that next passion. Mm. What are some of the big things that you've learned over the course of your career well, for yourself? When, one big thing is I think that a lot of athletes have this kind of like alpha male, alpha female kind of mindset. That yep. <laughs> what I've learned that is actually not everyone has to be a leader. 
you can actually be a very good follower as well. And that can, it's just as beneficial to a team than everyone being a leader. So I learned, I guess, active listening for me is one of the big things. I actually learned to soak things up and listen to other people's opinions. And kind of from there, I, I then can critique and break it down if this is something I like, this is something I don't like, but I've got the confidence to do that, but without actually hearing other voices and letting other people speak up on that. So I guess the, the, the whole leadership thing for me, it's more of a dyadic relationship. You know, it's it's not just one person leads, one person follows. It's going to be interactions and that there's going to be change from that. So that was one of the big things. The other thing for me was I had the opportunity to travel to so many countries. It just opened my mind to whole new ways of thinking. So it was, I guess, you know, we talk about emotional intelligence, the whole empathy piece and the whole understanding of others, that's something that's grown from a lot of traveling and just understanding that, you know, the world doesn't revolve just around me and, and little old Scotland. <laughs> There's yeah. a big world out there and like if you share all the resources, things things improve. So I've always, like I said, I've, I've been very thankful to do what I've done uh, as a living. But from that, the lessons that I've learned about how to listen, how to apply things, how to ask questions, communication and empathy, I think are, are probably the key, uh, the key takeaways from that. I love that. You know, the empathy piece is is big and it's something that we don't, you know, something that's not cool to talk about or something that's just not talked about in sports is having an empathy and an emotional intelligence for, you know, for the world outside of the world outside the game. Yep. Yeah. Oh. And thinking about that actually helps with the world inside the game because yeah, you're, you're, you're balancing so. so much within the sport. And if I go back to the old way of coaching, it was very autocratic and this is what you do, this is when you do it. And I, I think the game's now starting to evolve. There's a lot more kind of, I would say, democracy within the game and people are actually understanding uh, others and listening to other perspectives. And you know, with the, the realisation that working together makes things better you know and it's just it's finding a way to work together and I I think like I said the the whole listening piece is is vital listening and understanding are two of the key components to a better team yeah talking about listening one of the skills that I I work with a lot of athletes on is listening to things that aren't nice to hear (laughs) because let's face it when you're an athlete, you're going to hear things that are not nice to hear. That's going to happen at some point, yeah. whether it's from your coach or from your teammates or from, you know, you get to a professional level from social media and, you know, sometimes it's even your own fans that are not happy with you. Talk to me about how you have ridden that wave of hearing things that weren't necessarily nice to hear. Yeah. I, I, like I said, I, for me, it's, you know, you say waves. There's been times in my career that I'm, I would say, more vulnerable than others. Mm. So at the start of my career, I was in this kind of whole imposter syndrome mode. And I guess that's actually happened through my whole career. I, I don't know if it's because I started the game so late, but there was always, I was always questioning myself, like, how did I end up here? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm this little kid, or not little, but big kid from Scotland, and I'm all of a sudden touring the world, playing basketball at a high level, making really good money you know it just it sometimes it's like how did this happen so I think there was always that kind of question in the back of my mind so if a coach then would then latch on to the way I was thinking at that moment it could have a negative effect on me mm. the way I had to combat that was by putting the work in relentlessly in the gym so I got to the point that I understood that mistakes were going to happen 
that was a it was a necessity. It, you know, it was, it was something that was definitely <laughs> there was always going to be mistakes made. I had this kind of like perfectionist kind of thing before that mm. if I made a mistake, I kind of curled up into a little ball and didn't want to risk making other mistakes. But I, I started going to the gym more relentlessly, relentlessly. And I, I realized that I was still missing in training, missing shots or turning the ball over. But at the same time, I knew the work I'd put in, that I was doing my absolute best. And I think that kind of put my mind at ease that no matter what, I'm giving my absolute all, or in my, in, I perceived that I was giving my absolute all. So I think that kind of covered my bases that no matter what criticism I was getting, this, that, and the next thing, I understood that if I'm giving my absolute all, I have, I have no excuses. I cannot, I guess it was like that whole fear of failure thing. I didn't mm. have that fear anymore because I knew I was giving my absolute all. And I understood that people, some people, no matter what you do, are not going to like you. <laughs> or, you know, uh, so from a coaching perspective, there was going to be coaches who didn't like my style of basketball. And that was a realization that I, I started to understand. Again, that came with maturity. But I was saying at the end of my career, uh, coming back to the UK, I wasn't just a basketball player anymore. I was now working. I was doing this. I wasn't spending as much time in the gym. I was spending more time with my family. So, you know, you talk about that psychological contract. I maybe wasn't as invested in the sport as much as I, as, as, as I had been in my past. And because of that, when... When I started to get criticised on social media and stuff like that, it, I took it really, really personally. And I think it was because of my insecurities that I knew I wasn't giving the same to the game as I used to. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, so that kind of made me a little bit more vulnerable. And that was actually why my decision to retire was when I, when I did. It was because I, I, wasn't, I had these insecurities of the, the effort I was now putting into the sport wasn't the same as before. And I did not want to compromise what I was doing with my family and everything else for the time in the gym so I, I made the decision that okay I'm just going to walk away from this because I, I can't give it the attention that I think I needed to give it to to be the player I needed to be and that goes back to your talking about you know your identity of you know you're more than just an athlete you're also a husband you're a father you know you have this life outside the sport yeah. and it sounds to me like you said, you know, here I am, I'm choosing my non-athlete piece of my identity. Now, so I'm than, choosing that yep. now. Yep, it's, it's going to be a bigger part of my life than, than the sport. And, and, and the thing is, for me, going back way back when, when I first started playing ba uh, basketball, that love for the game is still there. The enjoyment of the game is still there. I just knew I, I wasn't willing to do it on a professional capacity anymore. I just felt, I guess, burnt out, or not even burnt out. I, I was willing. I was. I was ready to try new things. Mm. Uh, so I, I, I feel, and I, I guess, in the back of my mind, there was also a fear of, am I, am I going to still be good enough to play at the level I was playing before? You know, I think that was uh, something that kind of compromised my decision as well. Yeah. There's um you when you when you play at when you do anything at professional level and it, we're not you know I think athletes in particular but I think anything at professional level if you can't do it at your very very best for whatever reason whether you've been injured too many times or you know your head gets in the way and you feel like you're not good enough or you you know you just age out because guess what that happens I think there's a there's always a if I can't do this at the top level, I don't want to do it professionally anymore. Yeah. 
And it sounds that's kind of like that's where that's kind of where you kind of where you hit. You're like, if I can't do this, play this at top level, I don't want to. I yeah. don't want to do it. And then a lot of my friends, again, they can't even play recreationally after they're done because they would rather do something completely different. It's a completely new challenge because it, the standards drop so much that it's just like it's not worth it anymore to them. So it's really it's really a, 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 you know, a fine balance. And I was very fortunate my, myself. I went back to uh, do a master's in, in leadership and management um, in my last couple of years playing. And a part of my, my dissertation was on the athlete transition. And I got to speak to a lot of athletes who went through the same process. And it was just really, really interesting to see the ones who still continued to play at some level and the ones who were just <laughs> flat out, I'm not involved in the sport anymore at all. I'm, I'm more focused on other things and trying new things. So it, it, for everybody, it's a little bit different. Yeah, that does get me to ask, you know, you've been out, you've retired a about a year now. Now, okay, granted, you know, this was probably, if you're going to like miss a year of playing basketball, this was probably the year to miss, um, all things considered. But, you know, if you're going to be out and how's retirement been treating you? Yeah, well, it's, you know, I look at it because I look at my bigger picture. I, I wore the number 20 and in my mind, at first I, I planned to retire after 2012, the Olympics. But then I realized I still wanted to play and I still enjoyed playing. So I had this mindset of going to 2020. That would be my, my year. So I'd actually planned to retire this year. And looking back in hindsight, I'm so glad I didn't because it would just have ended. It would have been, you know, pandemic and all of a sudden it's just done, you know. So yeah. it's just a, so I, I guess I'm, I'm quite thankful that I left on my own terms. But there was still a lot of kind of uncertainty, even though I'd been, I guess, planning and preparing for retirement for maybe three or four years. I felt that, again, going back, doing my university, that was kind of like, um, oh, yeah, this is a, the destination I'm going to reach. And once I finish this, everything's going to be perfect. And it wasn't. <laughs> like everything in life, there's, you know, you just keep going and keep going. And there's, there's going to be other things in the way. And there's no, you, like, you're never essentially going to reach that destination. So for me, I think that being tall, people say play basketball. They don't say, oh, be a CEO of this or do this or do that. So basketball, once basketball essentially found me, I latched onto that and I embraced that. But now I'm, I'm, I'm trying to redefine who I am in a sense. So I th- I, even though I said I've got multiple identities, I still haven't found something that's like, this is the thing that I am now. You know what I mean? I'm going to dedicate to the next 20 years of my life. Mm. But at the same time, the advice I've been given is, well, if you look at people, they're doing transitions all the time. Like I, I think the average person in a job now is like five years before yeah. they move into something else. So actually, you know, if you you're not looking for this perfect fit right now, you're maybe still in the exploring stage. So I started saying yes to a lot more things and a lot of conversations and a lot of kind of breaking things down to kind of fixate on what I want to do. Right now, what I've realized that the things that I'm, I'm really passionate about is, is mental health, uh, uh, still like helping others and helping others develop, yeah. whether it's in a sports capacity or, 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 or another. So I've kind of gravitated to those kind of opportunities at this moment in time. And, and right now, I'm really kind of enjoying the ride. But I'm, I'm, like I said, I, I was such a big planner before. I had all these goals and everything was always mapped out. It's kind of nice just to kind of just say, like, look, I'm an open book right now. 
like I still have a plan in, in a sense that okay I want to achieve this and achieve that but my ultimate goal is how do I help others and actually monetize that that's the you know the, so I can still uh, pay the mortgage and so forth and mm. I'm, I'm enjoying that journey at this moment in time yeah you talk about mental health and you know the that being important to you how did you find that that was important one and what makes it important to you so it was it went back to my dissertation mm. so when I did my dissertation on the transition the reason I did that was it was more I like to class it more as therapy than education <laughs> so I was I'm a curious person you know I knew I was about to embark on this myself I wanted to hear other people's stories of how they went about that and I think listening to other people talk about their journey I realized that there was a lot of negative factors that came into that and a lot of them I, I, I personally told you about my, my last year experience myself in the sense that I was very down on myself I wasn't enjoying the sport I was you know the online trolling was kind of overwhelming me and the thing is the online trolling in a basketball sense in Scotland there's maybe one or two people writing it's nothing major and there's, there's probably for every one person that writes something bad there was maybe a hundred people writing something good but I, you just fixated on that one little yeah. thing so I, I felt that I had to get control of my own well-being and my own uh, mental health. And, and the one way of doing this was actually listening to other people talk about their own experiences. So that, that was, I realized how important that was to me. And me being who I am is I'm thinking about, well, how can I then utilize that and help others? Because maybe not everyone is as, as proactive as I was and maybe not have those same opportunities or not being able to have that kind of way of kind of reflecting and breaking things down. So I realized that when I started talking about my experiences, I found this a company, the one I'm actually working for right now, Frog Systems, who essentially have a platform designed exactly this. It's people talking about lived experiences and then signposting local supports. So in my mind, I was thinking this is this would be great in sport because I know there's a lot of people who, the old mindset in my sport was, you know, it was just suck it up or you know, the the usual that it's going to be okay, that you're, this athlete's like a demigod and they have no feelings and they just get on with things. I feel that there's, there has to be a balance of kind of destigmatizing things, but at the same time also educating people outside of the sport. And I thought the best way to do that would be video and creating videos and people sharing the experiences and again, then signposting support. So it's educating while signposting. I think that would be a really, really powerful tool. So that's kind of been my my kind of passion and something I'm kind of passionate about in my drive right now. It's given me some purpose. And I feel that that's another thing that's always essential in your life. You need to have some type of purpose, a feeling of belonging, you know, and I found that right now within the work I'm doing in mental health. If you could take some of what you're learning you know through your dissertation and working with you know for frog systems and on what they're doing and take it back to your time growing up your time playing at duquesne um because i mean the truth is is you have been through some tough situations and uh, i say situations that were not just limited to the court what's it take you know what did it take to be mentally strong and persevere so I think the first thing, one of the first mistakes that people make is this whole feeling of you have to be strong, you have to be resilient. Yep. They are very, very important traits. But what I'm saying is if someone doesn't feel strong or doesn't feel resilient, then, it's, then it becomes a negative, you know. So I, I think for me, the, it was kind of 
figuring out what makes you resilient, what makes you strong. And for me, the backbone of that was always a strong support network. So I think the realization that you are not alone and you can't be alone, you cannot do everything by yourself, that you're always going to know. And it should be easy for us because I play a team sport. <laughs> the, <laughs> the reality is you, you rely on your team. So for me, it was understanding that kind of sp- support network and not being scared to speak up. So uh, you may be knowing that some of the issues at my like university are part of a school shooting and so forth. Yeah. One of the big things for that was being able to talk, uh, just listening to your teammates speak up on situations if they were feeling down, just being there for them. And sometimes it wasn't about giving advice or giving that, it was just listening. Again, going back to the whole listening thing and realizing that everybody handles things in different ways. So I've been very fortunate to understand from a young age that communication was critical and having not been scared to ask for help. You know, I've, I've always been able to reach out. I've been curious enough to ask for help. And a lot of people I know try to bottle everything up and handle it themselves when the reality is that cannot be done. Don't get me wrong. It's sometimes good to know when you, you, know, you need to be alone or whatever. But at the same time, you still need those people. Just even knowing that someone's there for you, if, if you need to talk, that could be enough at, at, at some moments in time. So that that was a one big learning point that I would make sure that everybody kind of knows that they're not alone. And don't get me wrong, even if they don't have a, you know, a strong family backing or friends, there's a lot of places you can get signposted support that what people are willing to listen and help you through your struggles. So that was the big thing for me. It was it was okay. You know, people talk about it's okay not to be okay. Uh, understanding that you're going to have down days and that's that's okay, but it's thinking about how do you get over that and using your support networks to get you through those tough times. Yeah, it's such an important conversation to have when it comes to, because let's just face it, life just happens. There's no, yeah. Very much so. And the thing I see now, and I, actually it bugs me so much, is when people say, yeah, I see all this on, it's different with me because I'm, you know, I can handle it. But the thing is, you can maybe handle it now. You never know <laughs> when the day might come that you're, you're more vulnerable than others. You know what I mean? So I was talking about my journey. If someone was online trolling me, say, 10 years ago, it would just have bounced off me. Like it would be nothing. But as I got older, that changed. So there's going to be times in your life that you are more vulnerable than others. So you have to stop with the whole, that wouldn't happen to me, that would prepare yourself for that. And and like I said, there's ways to combat it in, in, in essence by, like I said, speaking up, understanding your uh, your support networks, reaching out and like I, and again, finding purpose in what you do and, and, and the things that you're doing. Because sometimes they, they help you through the bad times when you realize that the ultimate goal is for this, that and the next thing. Yeah. We've talked about reaching out when you need it, but there's the other side of that coin when people reach out to you and, and want you to be there for them. And talk to me about your own, where you've been the support system, not necessarily used it. So as in when I have been the support system? You're yeah, saying? where someone's yeah. reached out and when someone's reached out to you, I, I remember um, yeah. seeing around the shooting at Duquesne where you know you were you talking to some of the players from other sports the players from other sports i was talking about too sorry you were you were talking yeah just about how the you know how you've been there for other players the importance of also being there for others yeah and 
for, for me, like I said, uh, when I was going through the, the time at Duquesne, I realized that actually helping others was, for me, the biggest kind of feeling of you know, satisfaction. So I, I even talk about my stuff, what I'm doing now and you know, helping the athletes with you know, and, and mental health and so forth. I get so much from that, you know, that whole purpose drive of helping others. I think it's such a powerful feeling. It kind of helps you through some tough times yourself because, again, there's that whole bigger purpose. But the one thing I realized, especially back then, was, you know, I would have one player talking about phoning me at 3 3 a.m. in the morning and saying, you know, I can't sleep. Can Can we go for a walk and talk? And then I'd have another player saying, you know, losing it at practice and I'm asking if he's okay and he's saying I don't want to speak about it I don't you know so I like I said I, I learned to deal with things in a different manner but at the same time the support I was giving was helping me mm-hmm. so I, I was always trying to help others because I knew by helping others it makes me feel good as well so it, 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 it's not as just as oh Kieran's this great guy there's, there's a lot of meaning to that to helping others as well I guess in the, it's a win-win in a sense if you're doing the, you know you're doing it for the, with the right reasons the right intentions but I think from helping others it helped me understand that everybody was different as well I, I've, I really kind of enjoyed that process and it's kind of something that's kind of stuck with me I still do a lot of kind of mentoring because I enjoy it the one thing I, I do feel that could happen in the, in the future though is you get to the point that you just can't help everybody you know and understanding that it's not just personal if something doesn't go the right way. You know, I, I think it could be very, I'm very fortunate in, in the sense the work I've been in, I've not had that uh, experience, uh, but I, I know in your line of work, <laughs> it could be very, very to, to the point that like, you're not going to actually help everybody and there's going to be some situations that you cannot control and um, that must be very, very hard because I also look at the who's helping the people helping the, the people, <laughs> you know, and that, that, that can be a, a real kind of, situation when, I, when everyone talks about looking after their mental health it's usually the people are, are complete hypocrites who are saying that because they're not actually safeguarding their own mental health because they're yeah. so fixated on helping others so uh, it's, a, it's a real balancing act that you kind of have to kind of work out and understand that sometimes signposting could be just as as powerful as actually trying to take that on especially if you don't have the expertise yeah the expertise is is one aspect and the other aspect is, yeah, it can't save everybody. You know, you can get a uh, caught up in the, Oh, I want to make a difference and I want to, I want to save the world. And the, the truth is, you know, one person, one person can't save the world. Yeah. You need a big support system to help save the world, you know? So I need Very my support so. system as much as you, do, you know, as much as you do in that, in that sense. Another big learning point for me was that, I say, I guess going back to the whole coaching thing and coaches not accepting you and liking your style of basketball and so forth, it's the same when it comes to support. Like your your methods of support are maybe not best suited to that person, or it might you know they might speak to you about one thing but not what not comfortable about you speaking to another thing. So I also think it's really important for an athlete uh, or anybody in that matter to understand that when you talk about support. It doesn't have to be the same people, the same things. It could be completely different people for different things. Mm. And it's understanding what works best for you. So I guess it's it's constant reflection on, did that work? Is it something that I'm wanting? Is it Because the worst thing that could happen is you're, you're going to uh, people that you've are classed as your support, but it's the wrong advice they're giving you because they're not, you know, they're, they're maybe not best equipped to talk about those certain things. So don't feel bad about, 
talking to one person about one thing and others about others because it's not just the one person that can do everything for you. You know that that's like you're saying that that whole support uh, mechanism is is a lot bigger than just a few people. Yeah, and you know that's one of the things that is part of the journey of becoming one of those people that's in the support system is that you suddenly develop, develop this network of, you know what, I am not qualified or I'm not comfortable. I have no experience, but I know someone who, you know, you can, you start like developing this little web and you basically you, you need a full web to support your people. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about what you would like to see in the, in the future around basketball in the UK. Oh, wow. This could be a podcast in itself. Uh, <laughs> no, for me, uh, there's, I guess, where I, where I look at things right now is I, I, I feel that in the sport right now, you know, we're so fixated on getting funding and growing the sport. But I always ask the question is, what would, what would we do with the funding? So, you know, you, you talk about creating positive role models, you talk about outlets. So I, I was saying that for me, the big carrot was the education piece, going to university. For a lot of professional sports, originally it probably begins with the money, making, earning a living. The reality is in, in our professional sports right now that it's it really shouldn't be professional. It should be semi-professional in my opinion. Hmm. Uh, I don't think the, the athletes are getting paid enough to even think about, <laughs> contemplate being classed as professionals. For, for the majority, that's not for every every single player playing in professional sport. But I think that there should be really more of an emphasis on Again, that whole holistic approach. I'm fine with people making, I mean, not great earning, but at the same time, they're getting supported through education, they're getting supported through different schemes about working, about life after sport. So I think that whole duty of care to the athlete uh, really needs to be kind of focused on. And with that is the, the whole support services. So I was saying as a, as a GB athlete, I would I was getting my sports psychologist, I had my nutritionist, I had my physio, I had as a professional basketball player in, in in the UK at this moment in time that that doesn't exist yeah. that that infrastructure is very it's not um if it, if it does exist it's very informal uh, it's not kind of like strategic and being put together so I think the league needs to have a, a more of an emphasis on actually protecting its players mm-hmm. but at the same time that the whole basketball organizations that are involved all the stakeholders in basketball they're so fragmented at this moment in time uh, there needs to be a like I said, like a, a common vision, uh, everyone kind of working together collectively to create that pathway. Right now, everyone I think's got their own little piece of the pie, and it's just not coming together. So, you know what? We, we the whole premise of this podcast we talked about communication and teamwork and, and working together. That's something that hasn't happened with all the stakeholders involved in our sport. So, there needs to be a real focus on that too. And I think that with that kind of focus, sharing resources our capabilities improve drastically. And then all those things, like I said, putting the players at the forefront and saying, look, we're going to put you through this journey, not only to be better athletes, but to be better people. Mm. And, you know, they always say that better people make better athletes. I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Absolutely. I, so Absolutely. I, I think there needs to be more of an emphasis on that right now. Instead, I think right now the focus is how do we get our roster up to scratch so we can compete? They're not thinking about the person as a, as a human being at this moment in time. It's, they're a commodity and that, mm. that, that has to shift. I think uh, to a certain extent, that's not just a... A basketball problem. That's a, that's a sporting problem. That's yeah. a sporting <laughs> problem. And it's not just a UK problem either. Um, you know, there's this mentality of, you know, you're an athlete, that's your job. 
you're not allowed to have a political opinion or a you're not allowed to put your safety above the entertainment so you know we're talking about like the NBA restarting in the United States you know where everybody's going to one place and there's some pushback of going why do I want why do I want to do that it's like oh well you're an athlete that's your job just go just go play the sport and not putting the athlete first and saying that some athletes may not feel safe doing that or may not feel obligated to do that Mm -hmm. Um, so again, it's not just a UK problem and it's not just a basketball problem either. Yeah. And I even see it now, that we're talking about our young UK talent going over overseas or playing in, in the US at college. Or, and the, a lot of people always ask me for advice about going to, to America. And I, I always say I, I can't give advice. Like it's not advice to be given because my circumstances would be different from someone else. Mm. The whole point of it, the whole premise of what we should be trying to achieve is working out what is best for that athlete. So for some, they don't want to leave home. So if they don't want to leave home, what opportunities do they have in the UK to kind of follow their dreams? And, yeah. You know, and, and let them make the decision. Or for you know, I went over to Spain when I was seventeen. I wasn't ready for that. The language barrier, everything was just too much for me at that moment in time. Yeah. Would I have maybe been a better basketball player, had a better career? Maybe. I don't know, you know, but at the same time, I knew mentally and physically I wasn't ready at that, at that stage. So it's, I guess it's finding that support for the, it's not just the support itself, it's the support for when it's that time of need. So talking to a 16-year-old about retirement from sport, that's maybe not the right time for that per se, you know. So it's, it's finding that kind of balance between when is the right time to speak to that person, when is the right this, but helping them on that journey, I guess, Going back to my original thing was learning how to learn and be curious about different things and embrace different things as well. But you know, it's I guess it's a, a utopian plan. Uh, I just feel I can chisel away one 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 organisation at a time and and try and get the message across that more needs to be done, especially around the duty of care of athletes. Yeah, with everything that's going on with Black Lives Matter and everything that's going on in the United States around this resurgence of a message that kind of went a little bit behind the scenes with the pandemic and everything. What do you want to say about being a, you know, I think you're probably one of the very few black players. I think I can say that on (laughs) team Scotland or were on that was on team Scotland. Yes. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about how that affected you. Well, like I said, I I think there's, there's been this, it's been really weird actually over the last few weeks because this whole new anger has just came out of nowhere. Like it's, I must have bottled up. And I, I said, I'm a very good communicator. I'm very good at kind of opening up about certain things, but I've just been angered about some of the reactions to this whole Black Lives Movement. In Scotland, I can see, you know, I, I, I said, I, I pride myself on empathy. I can understand that when something's not in the peripheral, it's, it's you know, it's, it's sometimes harder to take notice of it. So a, a perfect example of this is you'll see someone who they don't do any campaigns or anything and all of a sudden they have a family member who maybe cancer or something and all of a sudden they're now doing runs and races for cancer and supporting that because it's now something that's, you know, it's right there now. It's something that's affected their lives. So in Scotland, it's very hard because uh, there's not a lot of minorities. And so I guess the minorities in Scotland have have this tendency to kind of just allow it. Like I said, we're just trying to fit in. Hmm. But this, I, th- I guess this movement's kind of empowered me to kind of say like, you know what, actually, 
there was things that I didn't like and I didn't like this was being said and I, I think there should be more focus on this and your mind should be a little bit more open. And the, the one thing I, I disagree with is of people saying, well, I'm sick of telling this story. I'm sick of this. They should educate themselves. People genuinely don't educate themselves. <laughs> like no matter what, like people tend to have someone of kind of, you know, who's had a role model or an influence that's helped them understand how to educate. Uh, and learn again learn how to learn so my thing with the whole team scotland thing is start looking a little bit more start delving a little bit more asking more questions you know if from a basketball perspective i I say when i was in glasgow i never realized realized how diverse glasgow actually was especially in the basketball world but it's not representative in in club level or, or national team level so the question is why is that you know, and the only way you can figure that out is by going into the communities and actually asking questions. What I've realised is there's so many barriers are up there. For for example, cost, getting getting to facilities, timings of of practices and stuff. Things that I would never have came to the you know the forefront of my mind until I started asking questions and listening. So I I just feel that there's there's a little bit more needs to be done in that in that respect. Don't deny it. Don't say that we're not we're not racist or we're not this. We're not that. We're Racism doesn't happen here. It's just a lie. It's just actually just listen to people and don't feel threatened by that. Because I think right now the, 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 the movement in itself, people are deflecting from the actual issues. They're so fixated on all the other little things that are going on and see, I told you about this, I told you about that. And that whole tribalism thing's kicked in, which I absolutely despise. Because what I've realized is when, I, when I'm looking at, Things right now, people are saying that like it's this way or that way, or you know, they're they're kind of deflecting from the actual questions. But what I what I said was for me, the whole tribalism aspect of it, it's us versus them, or this is good versus bad. What I'm saying is, I don't agree. I, I like I'm not a sheep in the sense that I'm just listening to everything people are saying and saying this is right because this is the side I've chosen. For one, there shouldn't be sides. But first of all, I'm looking at some of the things that are going on in in, in the movement. And I'm thinking I actually don't agree with that. But I agree with the, the overall you no know, messaging. It's what's trying to be portrayed. So it's okay to say, like, again, going back to pol- politics or whatever, it's, it's okay to say that actually these labour policies I actually agree with. doesn't mean I'm a labour supporter or, or this or that. But the actual message, the underlying message of equity within society, I don't see how anyone could possibly agree with that. You know, and, and that, that's the thing for me, like when I'm, when I'm looking at governing bodies, when I'm looking at sport, I'm looking at the representation. You know, people are saying, oh, yeah, the best person will get the job. Well, is, is that actually what's happening at this yeah. moment? Is that, that, do you really think that that's the truth? Because, you it's know, not. And, and, and that's my, that's my point. So it's, it's, instead of saying, yes, the best person should get the job, but what, what are we doing? How are we making this happen that the best person, that everyone's getting a fair opportunity to actually go for jobs? Am I being biased in my selection? Because I know what happens even when I was looking at board members, you automatically attract to the people that you know and you think that you know, feel comfortable around. You know? yeah. why, why am I uncomfortable about certain things? It's okay to admit those things, but as long as you're working towards them. I would rather have people be open and say, you know what, I was scared, I was frightened, I, you know, I feel threatened by this, that, and the next thing, opposed to saying everything's okay, nothing's happening, you know. So, yeah, that's, that's for me, like I said, when I'm looking at sport in, in Scotland, and it, it comes from two strands. I'm looking at, from a deprivation st- standpoint, you know, c- coming from a, a council estate and so forth, they're not getting the same opportunities as, you know, the more affluent 
kids within sport. And I, I believe that basketball was a, a great tool. You know, basketball, football, boxing, back in the day were, were, were renowned for being working class sports. That's not happening anymore. Yeah. And I, I feel that when you look at that kind of class divide, then you will start delving into the whole race divide and everything else that comes along with that as well too. So I think there's just a lot more that needs to be done in that, in that respect. And I'm, and I'm happy to share. I've actually reached out to a couple of sporting organisations uh, in Scotland to talk about those exact issues. That's great. Well, that is about time. Any last words you want to say, pieces of advice you want to bestow before we yeah. depart? Just very simple. Uh, you know, I always I always live by the mantra, be the best you can be on and off the court. And I, I believe that should apply to everybody. It's not striving to be better than this person or that person. Just strive to be better than you, you were yesterday. And I think if you can kind of take that mindset into life, and that comes with re- reflection, that comes with asking serious questions of yourself. I, I have, what have I done to get better today? I think if you can just de- develop that into your routine, I think success is, uh, is imminent. You've been listening to the Athlete EQ Podcast. Thanks for spending some time with us. Please make sure you take time to download and rate this episode and share it with someone. If you like what you heard, don't hesitate to go back and listen to our previous episodes. Please also subscribe for future episodes. And one last thing, we'd love to hear what you think. If you have some feedback for us, send us a message at aeqpodcast.feedback.com at gmail.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you in two weeks with another episode.